scripture comes from Luke 10, the verses are 1 and 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. All right, I have all the commitment envelopes from first service, and I thought we might pray over those as well. So it's now time to turn in your commitment forms, put those in the envelopes there, seal those up, and pass them to the aisles. And if the guys who are helping with communion don't mind walking up and down the aisles and go ahead and get those envelopes, and when you get those on your aisle, bring them down here to the table and put them on the table, and we'll have a prayer for those in just a moment. It's so important that we collectively re-enlist in involvement and in ministry, but also that we renew our commitments to God in several important areas in our involvement, but also our participation here, also our personal time with God in Bible reading and prayer, also with giving. And in every one of these areas, it is a challenge for us to stretch a little more, to take one or two more steps in our level of commitment to God. And I hope that you will do that. I would encourage you to do that. It's important for us to do this together as we reflect the church in Acts 2, the church that was devoted in so many ways to God's Word and to fellowship and to uh, the Lord's Supper and to prayer and to spreading the gospel. It's so important for us to do this. And we do this every year. If you're somewhat new here, we, we do this pretty much every year. And there's a couple of reasons. One is so that our commitments don't grow stale, so that we don't get stagnant in who we say we are and what we're going to do. It's so easy to get into a rut or a routine. It's so easy just to to settle into a pattern. And sometimes it's nice to shake things up a little bit and remind ourselves that we are to be fully committed. And, And maybe we did this last year or last time. Maybe we can do more or give more or be more. And so it's important for us in our commitments to not grow stale or stagnant. But I think also it's important for us to do this collectively so that we communicate to those who are new that things aren't so established here when it comes to ministry and getting connected and involved that that you can't break in. You see, by doing this together, what we're saying is we're all on the same page. We're all re-enlisting in ministry. We're all recommitting in all these different ways. And so it's not like if you've been here a long time, you have the upper hand or you're more entrenched in the life of this church. We want to be welcoming to all people here, and we want us all to do this together. So this gives us a great opportunity to do these things together as one. And that's what we're called to be, to be one, one body, united in Christ. If for whatever reason you didn't come prepared to turn this in or you don't have it, you can turn it in tonight. The involvement form you can do online. And so I would encourage you to do that. But why don't we pause right now and let's pray over these commitments and dedicate them to God. Join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the names written down on these papers. We thank you for the commitments symbolized on these papers. We thank you for the plans that are being made, the conversations that have had and will continue uh, to be had. We thank you for the decisions made 
and those decisions that will continue to be made. Father, all of those things, all of our efforts, all of our time, all of our attention, all of our resources, Father, we commit to you. And so, Father, as we commit in these different ways, as we enlist in ministry and service, we pray that your name would be honored and glorified in all that we do as a congregation and all that we do as individuals. Father, that's our hope, that we would glorify you and that we would share your good news with the world around us, that we would be your disciples making disciples in this world. So, Father, we lift these commitments up to you. We pray that you would bless them, that you would use them to do mighty things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today in just a moment. But maybe you know what it's like to look for a job. Maybe you're looking for a job right now. Well, I came across some job listings you might be interested in. Look at this first one. They're looking for computer engineers who like to solve difficult problems. Call at the number below. And I don't know if you can see the little slip that you tear off, but it's a formula. A equals 24, Y equals 30, and then there's, there's this algebraic formula there that you have to solve to get the phone number to call. So if you can't solve that problem, they don't want you bothering to call about the job. I thought that was pretty clever. How about this next one? Tired of working for only $9.75 per hour? We offer profit sharing, flexible hours, and benefits. Starting pay, 5 to $7 per hour. Sounds like a great deal, right? If you couldn't solve the equation from the first one, you might want to go ahead and call about this one. Or how about this next one? Wanted someone to grind or chew hay for a horse with bad teeth. Contact James. Of course, his name is Bud Williams. We just call him Bud. He's the guy with the horses. And to this job, I would say nay. Okay, moving on. Cab drivers wanted. Nights and weekends. Must have good driving and criminal record. So in other words, Uber drivers is what they're looking for. <laughs> I know, some of you are Uber drivers, right? And this one might be my favorite, this next one. It's an online ad looking for someone to travel back in time with this person. And it says, this is not a joke. And I love this next line. You'll get paid when we get back. <laughs> And also, by the way, bring your own weapons because I can't ensure your safety. And by the way, I have only done this once before. Oh, good. I was worried about this until you said that. And notice where this person wants to go. You know, if I was going to travel back in time, and I've already done it once, I was going to hire someone to go with me again, there's a lot of times in history, there's a lot of places I would choose to go. The Midwest in 1985 would probably not be at the top of my list. But for whatever reason, that's what the job entails. Maybe we should all just stick to our day jobs, right? Maybe so. Hey, let me tell you, if you are a Christian, if you have committed your life to Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ, or as Paul says in Galatians 3.27, clothed with Christ in baptism, if you have come up out of those waters declaring the name of Jesus, then you not only enlisted as a recipient of God's rich blessings and the resources of the church, you have signed up as an ambassador of that kingdom of God, 
as an ambassador of Christ, you have a job. In many ways, among all the other things that it means to be a Christian, it means you have answered the call for a job. You have a duty, you have a job, you have a responsibility. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the nature of this calling or this job, and also the perspective one must have in doing this job. He writes in verse 16 of chapter 5, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God We're making his appeal through us. Do you see what he says? He says we have a job. But he also says wrapped up in that job is a new perspective. In Christ, we don't see things like the world sees them. In Christ, we have a new set of lenses. We're talking a lot about that with this series, 2020 Vision. We see things differently. And Paul says, Scripture says, that you see other people differently, that you don't see other people like the world sees them, as objects to be used, as necessary annoyances at work, as people you have to put up with, as needy people, as as inferior to you, as people wanting something from you. He says, no, you see people differently. You see people through the eyes of Christ as image bearers of God as these new creations that God is working on and working through. But he also says you see yourself differently because you too, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And so you do come up out of that water with a new name, a new identity, a new hope, a new mission, a new purpose. And what is that purpose? What is that mission? He says you're an ambassador of Christ. You represent the kingdom of God. You're a messenger. That's what an ambassador is, someone who represents a company or an organization. He says, you represent the kingdom of God. You have a message to tell the world. Well, what is that message? He says, it's the message of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? It means that God is calling people back to him through Christ. That's the good news that we have redemption, that we have been reconciled, that our sins are washed away through Christ. And now we have not only eternal life in heaven, but abundant life here, life with hope and meaning and purpose and peace. He says, that's your job to tell people, to minister in that reconciliation and to share the message of reconciliation. You see, the truth is, when Jesus saves us, he also sends us, right? When he saves us, he also sends us. And there are examples throughout the Gospels and in Acts of God and or Jesus sending people out. That's what the word apostle means, sent. Examples of of Jesus sending people out with this message, sending people out with this good news, But as I said, not everyone wants the job. 
Not everyone welcomes that identity. Not everyone embraces the role of ambassador of Christ. Which brings us to our text today in Luke chapter 10. Jesus, his focus is on the cross. And literally, he is moving toward Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him there. Knowing that that's his destiny at Calvary. And that that obedience to God in giving his life at the cross will bring about this reconciliation that we just read about. And so he is literally making his way to Jerusalem. And as he goes, he wants some of his followers to go to the towns in front of him, ahead of him, and prepare them for his arrival, to prepare their hearts to hear this radical message about the kingdom of God, because it's not expected. They're expecting a message about the kingdom of God. They're expecting the Messiah at least the Jews are, but their idea of the Messiah is not what Jesus is doing. It's not who he is. And of course, the Gentile world, many of them have no idea about the Messiah. And so he sends out these followers to prepare the way for himself. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. He uses this metaphor, this analogy, this comparison, this image to express to these people he's sending out that there is great opportunity in the world. That there is great potential in the world for people to know Christ to hear the message, to be transformed by the saving power of Jesus, to see the kingdom being revealed in the life and the teachings of Jesus. The potential is great. The harvest is plentiful. Now let me ask you, do you think that statement is still true today? Is the harvest still plentiful today in this post-Christian, sometimes anti-Christian culture? Absolutely it is. Yes, the harvest is still plentiful because there are still people, some people that you live with or beside or work with, some people you encounter throughout the week who don't know Jesus, who haven't claimed Jesus as Lord of their life, who haven't expressed faith in Jesus. And as long as there are people in this world who don't know Jesus, who haven't given their lives to Jesus, then yes, the harvest is still plentiful because there are opportunities harvest is plentiful. There is great potential. But what's the second part of Jesus's well-known expression? Yes, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, few people see that job listing for ambassador of Christ and go, hey, sign me up for that. That looks like something I want to do. Instead, many say, yeah, no thanks. Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I'm retired, maybe when I'm more settled, maybe when I have more money, maybe when my life is not so chaotic. But right now, yeah, I got too many other things going on. But God, if there's any way that I can just sort of receive the blessings that you have, if there's any way that I can just sort of be a part of the recipient end of the resources of the church, then, then I, I would sign up for that. Can we make that arrangement? Is that a deal? Can we do that? 
And what's interesting is our resistance sometimes to signing up as an ambassador of Christ, it's not about the qualifications. I mean, God is notorious for using unqualified people to carry out his good work. I mean, read the Bible time and time again. God uses the the feeble, the frail, the flawed to do his perfect work. And so it's not about the qualifications, then what is it about? It's the nature of the job, isn't it? Because we know what the job entails. We know it's going to be uncomfortable. We know it's going to demand something from us. It's going to cost us something. That's right. And Jesus is up front with that. It's not a bait and switch. Jesus is up front every time he talks about discipleship and the cost of discipleship. And here in our text, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out these disciples ahead of him and he wants them to know what they're getting into. Luke chapter 10, verse 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Jesus says, I want you to go and before you go, you need to know this. You're going to be like lambs among wolves. Oh, Jesus, come on. Why can't we be wolves among wolves? Wouldn't that be better? Then we could, we could fight with people and argue with people and then we could, we could kind of push people around and we could have a chance at surviving that way if we were wolves among wolves. In fact, Jesus, how about you let us be wolves among sheep? That sounds even better because then we have the upper hand, we have the power, we have the authority and we can just push those sheep around. We can get them to do whatever we want to do and if they don't, well, you know what happens to a helpless sheep in the presence of a ferocious wolf, right? But Jesus says, no, no. I'm sending you out like lambs, helpless lambs among ferocious wolves. Now, unfortunately, too many times the world perceives us as wolves, doesn't it? The world perceives Christians as pushy and rude and disrespectful and judgmental. And sometimes, let's be honest, we have contributed to this perception of us. Sometimes we act like wolves. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Yes, there is a time for confrontation. But it's how we confront. And as lambs, that means we are not weak, but meek. There's a difference. We are meek. We are mild. And yet, isn't that the nature of the job as an ambassador of Christ? To put ourselves on the line, to empty ourselves, to sacrifice, sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Christ, for the advancement of the gospel? And as ambassadors of Christ, aren't we supposed to be like the one we are representing Jesus who emptied himself, Jesus who put himself right in the crosshairs of people who were angry, people who had so much injustice in their hearts and jealousy that they ultimately killed him. Aren't we supposed to be like him? And last time I checked, Jesus wasn't the big bad wolf. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? The Lamb of God. And so when we are like lambs among wolves, in some ways we are like 
Jesus. A few months ago, one of our shepherds, speaking of sheep, one of our shepherds, Brent Keck and I were at a church conference talking about discipleship and making disciples. Lots of good information. You know how it is when you go to a conference, you just sort of feel overwhelmed and you process as you leave. But I remember one statement I'm still sort of processing. It's just kind of rattling around in my, in my brain. One of the ministers said this. He said, our goal is to not get this church to look like Jesus. I thought, whoa, wait, what? Our goal is not to get this church to look like Jesus, he said. Our goal is to spend this church so that the world looks like Jesus. Huh. Lambs among wolves. And isn't it true that when we give ourselves up, when we give ourselves over, when we yield our wills and our lives and our resources to the work of God, when we empty ourselves, aren't we looking like Jesus? I think so. So Jesus warns this group of disciples, 70 or 72. Some of the early manuscripts have 70, some have 72. It doesn't change the story. What's interesting about that number, actually, is in the previous chapter, chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. If that story reflects the story in Matthew 10 of the, what we call the limited commission, when he sends the 12 to the lost sheep of Israel or to the Jews then those 12 apostles represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And here he sends out 70 or 72, which very likely represents the Gentile nations. Back in Genesis 10, there are 70 descendants of Noah listed after the flood. In their minds, this became the Jewish or the Gentile world, the 70 nations of the Gentile world. And here he sends out 70 or 72. And so likely what he's saying is, I'm sending you to everyone. I'm sending my 12 to Israel. I'm sending you to the Gentile world. The doors of the kingdom of heaven are open wide open. Samaria is not off limits. The Gentile world is not off limits. Israel needs to know that I'm the Messiah. Do you remember what Jesus said? The harvest is plentiful. Jesus is swinging the doors of the kingdom of God wide open. He wants everyone to hear the message. And just when the job sounds challenging enough for those he's sending, Jesus continues, verse 4, Do not take a bag, a purse, sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Jesus, it's bad enough that we are going to be like lambs among wolves, and now you say we can't take anything with us? No purse, no wallet, no extra shoes, no memory foam pillow? It's my favorite pillow, Jesus. No peppermint mocha latte? I gotta have that. Don't take anything. Can you imagine if you signed up for one of our mission trips? And you said, okay, we're going to leave Friday at 5 o'clock. And by the way, you can't take anything with you. <laughs> There'd be an uprising, wouldn't there? Well, I can't go. Jesus says, you're going to be like lambs among wolves. And by the way, don't take anything with you. 
Why does he say that? Because when Jesus sends people out, he often sends them out empty-handed so they will learn to rely on God. So they will not be mistaken in thinking that they are taking care of themselves, that this is all about God. He wants them to have this reliance, this faith in God. But he also tells them, this is urgent. He says, don't, don't bother stop on the street and have casual conversations. He says, you go to a house, you proclaim peace. If that peace is not reciprocated, then you just hit the road and go to the next one. He says, don't go from house to house looking for the best accommodations or the fastest Wi-Fi. You just settle in one place and do your job. And you eat, by the way, whatever's put in front of you, except coconut. I think in the Greek it says, except coconut. There's an exception there. But that's significant. Eat whatever they put in front of you. Well, wait a second, Jesus. We might be in some homes of Gentiles. And you know, we have some food purity laws. And so I don't know about that. Jesus says, you eat whatever they put in front of you. Do you see what's happening here? It is so clear. The messengers Jesus sent out were to focus solely on their mission. They were to be narrowly focused on their purpose, on their reason, on their mission. The mission eclipses everything else. It's more important than your provisions. It's more urgent than casual conversations on the road. It's more critical even than your own comfort. Isn't that still true today? Shouldn't it be true today? Do we live like that's true today? The mission of the church should drive the church. Christianity is not an invitation to sit passively and consume the blessings of the kingdom of God. It is a call to actively advance that kingdom, to make mission our top priority. Well, you say, what was, what was their mission? What was their purpose? Their mission was to declare peace to make peace, to prepare the way for the prince of peace. Back in the text, verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, Jesus is about to be here, and when he steps foot in your town, you better listen, because that is God's kingdom unfolding right in front of your eyes. And so if he says to live this way, or he says, I'm going to die for you, whatever he says, you better know it's true. And if it goes against what you thought was going to happen or what you expected to happen, then you need to get rid of that, because this is the kingdom of God. It is at hand. It is being revealed in the life, and the teachings, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They were given a message of peace to spread. Jesus says, by the way, there will be judgment. There will be judgment for those who reject your message. In fact, if you look, it will be severe judgment. But he says, that's mine to carry out. That's mine to administer, not yours. And certainly it's not ours. So now, knowing what they would have known, Jesus says, you're going to be like lambs among wolves. That that doesn't sound like a good proposition. That sounds dangerous. And knowing that Jesus says, you can't take anything with you except a rugged reliance on God, do you think they would still go? 
Would you go? You've probably heard this story before. It's a famous story. I've mentioned it before. But in 1914, explorer Ernest Shackleton was recruiting a team to go on his boat, his ship, the Endurance, to explore the Antarctic. They were going to to go into uncharted waters. The only thing was, it wasn't water. It was frozen water. It was going to be a dangerous mission. In fact, what happened is that their boat, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice. And for over 600 days, they were stuck there. But everyone on that boat survived because of his leadership, because of his decisions, and all kinds of leadership books have been written about him. But legend has it, before he took this voyage, he took an ad out in the local paper to recruit volunteers or helpers or sailors or workers to go with him on this journey. And here's what the ad said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Wow, where do I sign up? Doesn't that sound like a job you'd want? He actually had 28 people on that boat with him. People who actually said yes to this ad. Why? Why would they do that? They had nothing better to do. They're running from the law. There's got to be a reason. They're chasing fame and fortune. Yeah, but they may lose their life. I think they were inspired. They were inspired by this dream, this vision of doing something, of being part of something bigger than themselves, bigger than their mundane lives, that they were going to go further into the unknown world that other people had before them. And that excited them, that inspired them. You see, when you have that type of inspiration, it doesn't just nudge you out of your comfort zone, it shoves you out of your comfort zone. And that's why Paul would say later in his life, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I can't help but to preach the gospel. When you're inspired, when it's real to you, and it's meaningful, it doesn't just suggest you get out of your comfort zone, it pushes you, it shoves you out of your comfort zone. Seeing God at work should inspire us to join the work of God. Seeing God at work around us should inspire us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And for this six dozen disciples that Jesus sent out, that's what happened, I think. Because they got to be on the ground floor of God's kingdom being revealed in their time. They got to witness the Son of God and the power of God at work, not only in his life, but as we will see, in their own lives. They weren't just spectators. They were participants in the power of God at work in the world. And it inspired them. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Did you see how they returned? With joy. But wait a second. You you couldn't take anything with you. You were like lambs among wolves. Surely you got rejected. Certainly there were some awkward situations you found yourself in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... What'd they say? We got to see the power of God. 
Not only did we get to witness it, we got to see the power of God work in our own lives. We were able to excise demons from people. That doesn't happen every day. That's not mundane. You see, they were inspired because they saw God working in them and through them. They weren't just reading about it. They weren't just talking about it. They were living it. You know, last week, if you were here, we showed the baptism video from all the baptisms of this past year. If you haven't seen it, it's on the website. It's very inspiring, very encouraging. I encourage you to go see that. If you remember seeing that, you'll know that as people came up out of the water, their faces were always happy. There was so much joy. There was smiles and hugs and laughter and clapping and celebration, as it should be. But it wasn't just smiles on the faces of those being baptized. It was smiles and joy on the faces of those doing the baptizing or witnessing the baptizing, wasn't it? You see, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like being used by God to bring someone to Christ. There's nothing like seeing God at work in us and through us. There is nothing like it. It puts everything else into perspective. What becomes important is clearly seen, and what is not so important is clearly seen. The disciples in Luke chapter 10, they get a glimpse. They get a glimpse of it, and they can't get enough. And rather than returning from their mission exhausted, glad it's over, can't, get, can't wait to get back to my routine, can't get back to my pursuit of life and liberty and happiness, or coming back, well, I'll never do that again. Man, did you see what we had to put up with? Did you see how difficult the conditions were? Did you see how people rejected us? Did you find yourself in an awkward situation? So did I. I was very uncomfortable. Instead of coming back negative about their journey, they came back and say one thing. We saw the power of God with our own eyes, with our own hands. We got to be a part of what God is doing in this world. And Jesus blessed them for it. As we close, look at verse 23. Then he returned to his disciples and he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. He says, don't you know how blessed you are that you got to see the power of God at work in your life? For I tell you, verse 24, that many prophets and kings, they wanted to see what you see, but they couldn't. And to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. But you got to. You got to hear it. You got to see it. We're talking about vision. The vision God is giving us. The vision in regards to what we see and how we see. And so let me just ask you, are you watching for God? Are you watching for God to be at work? In your daily interactions with other people, could this be a moment, a sacred moment, a divine appointment that God is trying to do something here? Or is your head down, your eyes closed, and you're just trying to get through to the next moment? With your neighbor, with your friend, with someone in your family, is God trying to do something among you urging you, saying, come on, sending you, saying, go. Are you watching for God? Jesus said, 
The harvest is plentiful. There are opportunities everywhere. As long as there are people who don't know Jesus, as long as there are lost people in this world, the harvest is plentiful. But what else does he say? The workers are few. So let me ask you, will you join him? Will you join God? If you are able to see what God is doing around you, if you can pause long enough from your life and your demands and all the stuff you have going on and all your dreams and ideas and needs and desires, if you can pause long enough to see God, to really see what he's doing, do you have the faith then to say, God, I'm, I'm with you. I want to join you. I want to be a, a part of something bigger better, more meaningful than just what I'm doing every day. Not that what you're doing every day isn't meaningful, but when you get a glimpse of God at work doing powerful things like these disciples did, you are changed forever and you say, this is real. This is what my life is really about. I want to be a part of it. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like, but God, I want to explore that. And you just start moving forward. When he sent these disciples, they just had to go. Nothing with them, not necessarily equipped other than the presence and the power of God. And you have the same presence and power of God in your life. Are you watching for God? Do you have the faith enough to join him? I hope that you do. I pray that you do. God is calling you today. A couple of shepherds and their wives will be, will be in the parlor. It's a room right behind me. They'd love to visit with you, pray for you, encourage you. You can exit the auditorium here in just a minute and make your way there. Or you can come down to the front, and we as a church family will support you and encourage you, lift you up in prayer. Or maybe today is the day. Maybe you know in your heart of hearts that it is real, that Jesus is the Son of God, and you're ready to turn your life over to him to come out of that water with a new name, a new identity, and a new purpose as an ambassador of Christ. I hope that's the case. If we can help you or serve you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing now.